Yeah, there are a few of you that missed last Sunday. Um, I'm not sure I didn't listen for the tape or listen at, for the recording. Yeah, it's on. It's not on CD. It's on computer, but it's not a tape either. It's a recording. Let's put it that way. Um, but just to hear um, people sharing about answers to prayer that they've had, uh, God doing incredible things in answer to prayer, and just sharing. People got to share that, and we got to listen uh, for what happened. There were some of us that were um, suffering for Jesus in Hawaii, but that was that's a different story. The angers had a great, great time. So, um, but uh, just, uh, just if you want to listen to some of the answers to prayer, and and don't stop now, okay? Um, we're going to be uh, sharing those things as we go. I want to invite you to come with me this morning to Palestine. It's 34 AD. It's a lazy spring day. And we're sitting on a grass-covered slope, a foothill leading up to Mount Hermon, which is a small mountain in Galilee. It's late afternoon, and the warm sun is beginning its long descent down to your left. Around you in the long grass are dots of bright colors of spring flowers. A light breeze is blowing the tops of the grass back and forth. Birds are flitting here and there. And in the distance to the north, you can see Mount Hermon with its white-covered slope. Below you is a sleepy little town called Nain, spelled N-A-I-N, Nain. Nain was once a busy, bustling town, but economics had changed. Now it was just trying to survive. In this idyllic setting, there's tragedy, death, to be exact. You hadn't known him, just who he was. His father had died when he was young, and now he, as a young man, passed away. He was an only child, so left his mother, already a widow, absolutely and utterly alone. We watch now from our vantage point as we see the beginnings of a funeral procession. They leave the house and take the son's body in a procession outside the city to the burial grounds. The mournful sounds of a flute and mourners' voices drift up to you as you watch. These are the people of the town giving their last respects in a last sorrow-filled parade. Suddenly, you hear something else. It it begins softly in the distance and and grows louder. It sounds like singing and and laughter and and boisterous jesting all at the same time. And it, it strikes you as rather inappropriate and irreverent in this setting. Your first impulse is to find the source of this noise and tell them to be quiet so as to not disturb this solemn occasion. As you look down the road to your right, you you see the source of all this noise. People. Lots of people. They seem to be following a certain group of 10 or 12 men, one of whom seems to be the source of the loudest singing, dressed like, what, a fisherman way up here? This was a study in contrasts. 
a parade of, of joy and expectation in life heading straight for Nain, and a funeral procession, a parade of sorrow and death, out of Nain. Life and death on a collision course. Today, life meets death. Let's find out what happens. Luke 7, it's page 838 in the Bible in front of you. Luke 7, we're going to read the first uh, verses 11 to, 11 till to 17. Luke 7, 11 to 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. What possible relevance could this event in the first century have to do with us in this century? This story, as we are in the life of Jesus, this story reveals how Jesus Christ the Son of God dealt with sorrow and grief and even death. He demonstrates the character of the God we worship and believe in, the initiatives and actions that God takes when we face challenges of all types. Our challenges will always vary in intensity and severity, but God always acts on our behalf. In this story, we have two crowds one celebrating life, the other commemorating death. What did Jesus do then, and what, what will Jesus do now? Actions of Jesus. First action we find of Jesus is Jesus met the woman at her greatest time of need. Jesus met the woman at her time of greatest need. The woman in this story was already a widow. She had lost her husband before. Now she lost her only son. Not only was she dealing with permanent loss of death, permanent separation, the loss of a loved one, she was also facing total destitution, left without a male protector or provider. See, back then, they didn't have life insurance or life insurance policies. There was no such thing as Social Security. In fact, there were actually no jobs for women in the first century. And her only hope for, to survive was that her son would grow up and care for her. And now he was gone. This was the greatest possible tragedy a woman could experience. She had lost everything, family, companionship, financial material support, and security. Her family line had ended, which was considered catastrophic. This was the worst possible circumstance for a woman in first century Palestine. So here comes Jesus. Now, I do not believe in accidents or chance meetings. The timing was too unusual. It's kind of like what we looked at the woman at the well where 
where Jesus met this woman. The timing was too unusual. I believe Jesus knew and he had decided he had an appointment outside Nain that day. Just like Jesus met this woman, Jesus meets us in our greatest time of need. What, what is your greatest need? If you're going to articulate, what is your greatest need today? Maybe you're in that place now. Maybe you're experiencing financial issues. The inflation rate has just gotten beyond your ability. Maybe it's a marriage in conflict or a crisis at your job. Maybe you're unemployed or close to it. Family members are in crisis or facing issues in parenting. Disease or sickness, something that you just can't defeat or get over. Maybe it's the death of someone you love. Facing a future, maybe just dealing with depression. Just the, the future looks dark. Or maybe you don't have a great physical or financial need. Maybe you sense a spiritual need, a temptation, a, a particular sin. An emptiness and harder soul just can't diagnose what's going on. Sometimes I speak to people who say they have no needs. Kind of unusual, but sometimes maybe our greatest need is dealing with spiritual pride and saying, I have no needs. What is your need today? Jesus is here. Jesus is here in the house. Not, not physically, but as he was in need. But he's here just as real. He's here in this house. house. And he will meet you at your point, whatever your point of greatest need is. The second thing we learn from Jesus is Jesus felt what the woman felt. Jesus felt what the woman felt. Verse 13, it says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. Isaiah 53, 3, in a prophecy about the Messiah, Jesus says, Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I don't know if you've ever said, nobody can identify with what I'm going through. Nobody's been through this. Nobody. He's acquainted with grief. He understands and knows it. Not only did Jesus experience all the feelings we experience, he had and has perfect empathy. Empathy. Em empathy is, designed, is, is the ability to feel another person's feelings. The ability to feel what the other person feels. To identify with them, to understand. As human beings, we have varying degrees of empathy. Okay? Some people have a lot of empathy. They can really feel what other people feel. Others, not so much. And, and we like to be around people that have empathy. Jesus could actually feel what the woman was feeling. This is not the compassion of, I feel sorry for you. You know, we can say that. People can say that. I feel sorry. No, Jesus actually felt every part of what she was dealing with. This was a deep compassion of shared sorrow. He perfectly felt her pain. Perfectly felt her pain. Hebrews 4.14 says, We do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. Jesus felt every emotion, the anger, the resentment, the grief, the despair, the faithlessness, the why me's. 
I lost my husband. Now, why my only son? Why me? We have a God who became one of us so that he can understand and feel it. Jesus feels what you feel. And Jesus may have an appointment with you this morning to meet you at your point of greatest need because he feels exactly what you feel. What are you experiencing today? Loneliness, a family member wrestling with alcoholism or drugs, addiction to pornography, whatever it might be in family or extended family or friends or in home personal life. Jesus understands your pain. He understands your confusion. He understands your feelings of powerlessness. Jesus feels what we feel. Third, Jesus comforted her. Jesus comforted her. Verse 13, it says, Don't cry, do not weep. I, I don't know if people ever say to you, Don't feel so bad. It's can't be that bad. You know, people come and they, they have these postulations and they see things to us. What gave Jesus the right to say, Do not cry? I don't know if anybody's ever said that to you. Don't grieve, don't cry. Jesus does not invalidate her sorrow, He doesn't deny her pain. He doesn't naively pretend it doesn't exist. He's well acquainted with what the, what the widow has gone through. What gives him the right to say, don't cry? Jesus knows the future. Jesus knows the future. He knows what he's going to do. And because he knows our future, he knows what he's going to do. He says to us, do not grieve. Do not grieve. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That gives him the right to say, don't cry. God has plans. He knows how to heal marriages, bring financial miracles, restore relationships, deliver from addictions. Healed a wounded heart recovering from the loss of a spouse. Recovery from a painful divorce. We, we live in the now. We have no concept of how God can make sense of it. But whether he raises the dead or heals the broken heart, mourning the dead, Jesus has the power and knows your future. One of the interesting dynamics of this particular account when you, when, you, when you see the lepers and you see the blind man and people were saying, Jesus, Jesus, help me, help me, help me. No one in this story asked Jesus to do anything. There was no great display of faith. There was no display of hope. There, there was nothing that they did. This was Jesus motivated purely by compassion. Sometimes... God acts in spite of us, in, in spite of our anger, our grief, our fear, or resentment, our lack of faith or trust, just because of his compassion. He cares. He cares. This is grace. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It's what Jesus just does. He did it for her. He does it for us. Jesus comforted her. Then, Number four, Jesus touched her point of pain. Jesus touched her point of pain. 
said, and he came up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. This was a great symbolic action. That coffin represented all the pain and sorrow the woman was experiencing. And Jesus touched it. Jews were forbidden to touch the dead. You touched a coffin meant you would pollute yourself. This is part of the ceremonial law. Jesus didn't care. That didn't stop Jesus from touching her point of pain. Jesus touched the dirt, the filth, even the death of humanity because that's where the hurts were. That's where the hurts were. Jesus does not care how unclean we are, how dirty we are, what sins we've committed or what our past looks like. Jesus will touch our pain. Touch is powerful. Put an arm around someone. Give somebody a hug. Hold someone who's in pain. When my children were young and they hurt themselves they, and came to me, what did they want from me? A lecture? A lesson on bike safety? No, that's, they didn't want anything. All they wanted is for me to hold them. They just wanted the Father's touch. The touch of Jesus is something far greater than human touch. And when the God of the universe touches something, when Jesus touches someone, life life happens it's the power of life the fifth action of Jesus Jesus gave life death was coming out of the village it collided with the giver of life and the result life Jesus gave life he said young man I say to you get up and the dead man sat up and began to talk put yourself in his place you died all of a sudden crowds and crowds of people must have been an incredible, exciting time for this young man and the mother and everybody else. Jesus just said the word. There was no elaborate ceremony. There wasn't music playing. Simply, profoundly, just the words of God, get up. And the entire power of the entire universe was in those two words, get up. The same word from God created the entire universe in a millisecond put the stars and planets in place, placed the earth in orbit, created the heavens and the earth, the sun and the moon, separated the lands from the sea. The word of God. And we have that word today, the word of God. In print and in electronic form. Jesus is Lord over life and death. Even the spirits in the spiritual realm obey him. He commanded and the spirit returned to his body and he sat up and he spoke. That same powerful word is available to you and to me today. May not be physical death, may not be physical need, maybe death to dreams, death to relationship, death to vision. Whatever your need, Jesus gives life. Where are you today? Maybe you've never known Jesus personally. Maybe just here exploring spiritual things. Jesus gives life. And the last action of Jesus is he restored relationship. He restored relationship. Verse 15, Jesus gave him back to his mother. She had lost him. She 
experienced the pain of permanent separation, and Jesus brought it back. There's nothing more valuable than a relationship. There's nothing more painful than broken relationship. And no matter what the circumstance or cause of that brokenness, Jesus can heal it. Jesus has the power to restore a relationship. Maybe it was a fight never reconciled with a friend, child, parent, relative, another church member. The restoration of a wayward son or daughter. The restoration of a marriage relationship. Jesus has the power to restore relationship and bring people back together. And the most important relationship that Jesus restores is our relationship with God, our spiritual father. That relationship was broken all the way back in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning. And all of history is an account of this reaching, loving God who pursues us to restore that relationship. His whole life at Jesus was seeking those who were alienated from the Father God and making a way to bring us and them into the relationship with God. If you're here this morning and have never known a personal, intimate relationship with God, you can. That's why Jesus came. And the people declared, God has come to help his people. A God who knows, a God who cares, a God who gets involved, and a God who helps. Where are you today? Where are you today? Jesus will meet you at your greatest time of need. Jesus feels what you feel. Jesus will comfort you. He'll touch your point of pain, bring life, and restore a relationship. And if you've never had a relationship with God, you can establish that today by praying this prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. I understand you came in love to restore my relationship with God. I admit I cannot do it on my own. Thank you for dying for me and rising again. I'm turning my life to you. Restore my relationship with God. If that's something you want to do today, please talk to me. I'd like to hear about it. I'd like us to bow for prayer in a minute. I want to talk about relationships and restoration. As the worship team comes, we're going to just take some time to pray for relationships. We're going to keep our heads bowed. Um, if, if there's a relationship that you need restoration in, whatever that need is, might be a, a son or daughter, grandchild, a parent, a relative, someone in your neighborhood, someone you work with. But there's a schism in that relationship. Jesus is about restoring relationships. And if you have a relationship that needs restoration, would you just slip your hand up real quick? You can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Just slip it up. Put it right back down. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you intervene in our lives. You care about every detail. You know the, the pain of broken relationships. And I just, Lord, you've seen every hand. You know every heart here. And I just pray, God, that you 
this morning would build faith and that you would work a miracle to restore that relationship. These relationships, Lord, when, when they're broken, they're, they cause incredible pain. But, Lord, you can bring restoration. So we are going to pray as a congregation today, believing, a believing prayer, that you're going to restore these relationships that have been represented with hands raised. So we pray for that as a miracle, Jesus. We're going to look forward to what you're going to do this week in those relationships because you are the God of the universe and you have the power to do just that. So we praise you and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, shall we?